You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. And welcome to another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. I'm Sam Webb, your host with the man that gives us the analysis, the experience, the insight. Just an overall great dude, my friend Tim McCormick, former Michigan basketball player and NBA first-round draft pick, and now doing his uh, analysis thing with ESPN. Uh, obviously, the Detroit Pistons and like Tim, another show. How you doing this week? Fantastic. I am. Um... I'm looking forward to talking a little bit of hoops here. Uh, it's been a compelling week of games for sure. We've learned a lot. Uh, this is a, an intriguing team that I still think has vast potential. Uh, Juwan has a system that, that's entertaining and I think, you know, works in a lot of ways. I have questions. I have concerns. But, you know, that, that really is a function of when you have lost five of your last seven games since the Bahamas to division one um, high, high major programs. So I am, um, I, I'm excited to talk. I think, I think we're going to, we're going to get to the bottom of all of this, right? Well, you know, Tim, you have them um, as well. You should, I mean, we, we expect, you have this team pretty well dialed in. I mean, you said this would, uh, for folks who obviously don't know our private conversations, you said this would be a one in one week. Uh, you said it's the, it's not very likely that they'll go out to, to Minnesota and, and win. Uh, of course, we know it's it seems tougher than ever to win on the road uh, in the Big Ten. You don't really know if offense will travel. And then you mentioned the the issues that maybe might present themselves, maybe would present themselves uh, in defending Oture. But before we – or Turu, excuse me. But before we're getting to that, there was the Purdue game, uh, you know, a matchup that uh, features a, a, a coach and Matt Painter that you keep – thinking they're going to have a backslide, Tim. And, you know, as we see yet again this year, it didn't it didn't manifest against Michigan. It was They were a game team, a tough team, a tough team to put out. Then they come right back after that and, and knock out Michigan State uh, by double digits. So clearly they can they can get things together offensively. They had them they had them going in the post against Michigan. But what we saw uh, in Ann Arbor is they really couldn't get anywhere else going. Uh, and that turned out to be the difference in a win, a a a tough win for the Wolverines on their home floor versus the Boilermakers. The the problem is when when you look at one game from a team and you base your expectations on that, it's a problem. And and following Purdue, they scored thirty seven against Illinois, and I I mean that's for the whole game, right? <laughs> and and I thought, wow, they just they can't score. But I just, I just know the way Matt Painter coaches. Uh, that Michigan-Purdue game was compelling. It was entertaining, a bit nerve-wracking, uh, thrilling at the end, and was as important as any game this season. Um, I, I know from a net rating standpoint, Gonzaga was really valuable, but Michigan could not afford to lose to Purdue in their own building. Uh, home teams have dominated. Uh, only five losses um, by home teams on their home court out of 37 games total. 
Um, so you, you just, from a confidence standpoint, um, you know, with, with Michigan State starting the weekend undefeated, you, you couldn't afford to go down by not playing well in your own building. It was a clutch finish by Michigan. Uh, and, and, but once again, they struggled with their three-point shooting and they struggled with their post-defense. So there are concerns about Michigan's weaknesses on both sides of the ball. Yeah, we've talked, we've talked this season about the predictable offensive issues they would have, not as many guys as you would like that could just go get a buck, go get their own shot, create a good shot opportunity off the bounce. Those are in short supply on this team, which you thought would be in greater supply, Tim, was knocking down, at least knocking down open shots. I understand to, that is harmed to a great extent by the absence of, of Isaiah Livers. Uh, but if we could just count, and I wish I had charted this, I haven't, or I didn't, the number of good looks over the last couple of games that they just weren't able to capitalize on. Uh, and again, that was that's one of the issues that we saw at times against Purdue. I'm curious when you when you looked at them offensively just in that game, uh, you know, what did you see? What did you see as the the biggest problems, and are they the same problems that you see plaguing them in in, in other games this year? It's a lot of the same issues, and and I've targeted three that I I think make a big difference. Number one. Xavier Simpson is the only reliable creator off the dribble. And that puts a lot of pressure on him. The defenses are loading up to, to make him go left and to try to make him beat people with his shooting. And that's not when he's best. I think he's a better creator. And when he allows the offense to come to him, he can certainly score. But but he's had to, to produce some miracles to pull out some of these ones. He's been great. He's been great. But I think... He likes being a pass-first point guard. And remember last year with Charles Matthews, Jordan Poole, and Iggy Brasdakis, th- those guys were more creative scorers, and they created space for Simpson, which made it easier. Uh, the second problem is that Michigan's really ice cold um, from three. The last four games, um, you know, not even counting Minnesota, Michigan shot 24 for 91 from three. It's 26%. Uh, and it's even harder to make shots on the road. And on Wednesday, I, I went to Michigan's practice uh, the night before Purdue. And I paid really close attention during their free shooting. And, and I think Michigan's biggest flaw is their pre-shot mechanics and their commitment to their shot. Um, the only player that I thought really was dedicated to to his fundamentals was Franz Wagner. And um, he, he's very disciplined in his shooting. Maybe that comes back to his his um, his tutoring in Germany. Uh, American players play more ball. German players focus more on fundamentals. And, and when I talk about fundamentals, when you shoot the ball, you've got to commit to it. Your body is locked in. You, you hold your follow-through to the ball, hits the net or the rim. And, and then you react from there. And, and I just think that when you go against really top, tough defenders, it's hard. You know, they're not going to give you much space. They're going to close out quicker. Um, and, you know, my, my third, my third op with Michigan's offense has to do with Eli Brooks. You know, he plays a good chemistry guy. He's a good defender. We saw what he's capable of in the Bahamas. But I think he is the, the one guy that could really benefit 
from from focusing on committing to each shot, landing in the same spot, holding your follow through, and really commit. Yeah, I think one of the things that keeps him on the floor uh, is his defense doesn't seem to have suffered while he goes through this awesome shooting slump that he is he is mired in right now. And we'll focus more on him later you know, after we get into the Minnesota game where he actually hit a big three uh, in that contest. But the, the minutes load that he's carrying, boy, you know that they're looking at it and saying, but man, we need some – we need, we need some more points, or, or at least at least like I said, not the 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 ability to create off the bounce, create shot opportunities, good shot opportunities off the bounce. That was never a sustainable thing uh, for him, uh, and, and I mentioned that earlier in the season when he was really really rolling, uh, but he was hitting those open shots, and that that has really suffered as of late. But like I said, we'll dive into him later to give folks though, Tim, uh, you know, some, one of the positive takeaways from Michigan offensively uh, in the Purdue game. And it's something that I touched on in last week's podcast. And, boy, did it ever show up in crucial situations with Xavier Simpson uh, late in the game, late in the uh, in regulation, and then again at the end of the first overtime. You mentioned teams jumping his right hand. I mean, every team, the scout, he is a right-hand dominant guy. I'm not saying he can't dribble with his left. But as you know, there's a difference between dribbling with your left and being able to attack, attack the rim with your left, uh, to 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 be able to finish uh, on a drive to your left. And at the end of the game, or end of regulation, when they jumped his right hand, what does he do? He crosses over to his left, attacks down the lane, uh, is able to finish. Now, that's a right hand finish, but to me, that that was beside the point. He completely flummoxed the defense by attacking effectively to his left. Uh, that gets you in overtime, thanks in part to, obviously, a large part to Franz Wagner's block. But then in, in overtime, at the end of that overtime, the same thing. is virtually a replay of the end of regulation where it crosses to his left and is able to get in the lane uh, with his left hand uh, and, and finish at the rim. If he can do that consistently, I'm look, I don't think you're going to see anything – sustainable in terms of significant improvement in percentage three-point shooting. But as far as left-hand finishes, attacking with his left hand, being a guy that's a threat, more of a threat to, to you know, attack teams that way, I think that is sustainable, especially when we watched him do it. He did it a lot in that game. He did it a lot versus, uh, versus Michigan State. Uh, in this contest, though, against Purdue, he did it in the clutch. He did it when it counted, and he made. He can actually converted those plays. I thought that was a big deal for Michigan. Yeah, he he is, and I um I I I just think that he's such a playmaker. And I'll, I'll put it in the analogy of of a running back. Um, you know, I love Tamanga Biakapatuka and Tyrone Wheatley, big, rangy, fast backs. Anthony um, Thomas was amazing, but but my favorite back to watch was Mike Hart and Jamie Morris, like smaller backs that use leverage. They understand angles. That's why I love you, Tim, my man. (laughs) (laughs) No, You you know what I'm saying? Like it's hard. It's hard to get leverage over somebody that is so much shorter than the defender. And, and he uses angles better than anybody. You know, he gets to the lane and it's like, he puts the big guy right in his pocket and they can't jump and they can't block his shots. And, and, and that's why he's so effective. 
Um, I first saw Xavier play at the top 100 camp when he was in high school. He was the smallest dude in the building. I, I mean, the some of the security guards were bigger than him. <laughs> and I was so anxious to watch him compete. And what stood out to me was his leadership skills and his toughness. And, and he walked onto the court every game like, I don't know who I'm going to take, but I'm going to take one of you. And, and, and he just – he, he, he took the guy off the dribble left. He took him off right. And he keeps getting better. So, yeah, I, um, I, I'm not surprised that he's been so good. And without Isaiah Livers, we're really seeing the, the, the true value of him because he's been phenomenal. Yeah, and, and against Purdue, when they needed him, I mean, 22 points, nine big assists to your point creating for, for others. Uh, and, you know, leadership to me is – how much of what you have, and this is a big thing for me, how much of what you have mentally, emotionally, can you infuse into your teammates? Because you can see, I mean, you could be in an adverse situation, whether it's you're on the road in a hostile environment, and some guys can be intimidated by that. Or you can you can be down in a game uh, feeling like the odds are, are overwhelming and too big to overcome and lose confidence as a, as a result. The best leaders in those, you know, in those emotional situations can give their teammates courage. Uh, in, those, in those situations when they're down, you can infuse confidence into the guys around you when they, when they don't have that. And I think, I, think, I think X has that. I think he has that ability to, to kind of infuse that kind of confidence or that kind of you know, emotional, that kind of courage into his teammates. Uh, and this is one of those games, man, where, you know, Michigan, they got all they can handle with a guy who came home, Tim, and Trevion Williams. I mean, there was a lot in there. Uh, you know, mm. came home, uh, you know, it feels like that he's on a roll. They can't stop him. You know, going against, a, you know, a seven-footer, that's a, that is a, a really good defender. Uh, so a lot wrapped up emotionally, and then that guy, when he's throwing in three pointers seemingly with his eyes closed, that's a recipe for some of the some of the guys on the team to be like, ah, oh, here we go. And and X wouldn't let that happen, and I thought he was a big part. That leadership piece, in addition to his ability to convert offensively, was a big part of them being able to hold on in that game. His leadership makes everybody feel better when you walk into a hostile environment or a big game or a tough challenge, you want a point guard that everybody says I'm with him and, and his leadership ability reminds me a little bit of ET. Ooh. Eric Turner was, was, was my point guard and he always had big swagger and, and always felt like he was going to be the best player on the court. And you were always going to, always going to get a chance to win. And, and, both of those point guards have that. You know what? It, it struck me as I'm listening to you talk, and, and I don't think it's necessarily the case that it, it's always having a dad as a coach gives you some of that. But both of those guys mm -hmm. had dads that are, that are coaches. Mm -hmm. You know, Quincy Simpson was, was, uh, was X's coach. Cliff Turner, one of, the, one of the great basketball guys in the city of Flint, uh, that's that's ET's dad, and uh, you know I can remember because I went to school with with Eric's little brother Jason, and I can remember, uh, <laughs> you know, winter time, get out there, shovel the snow, 
shoot free throw. Dead a winner. I know that's where Jason was. So if Jason was out there doing it, you know Eric Turner was doing it before was doing <laughs> it before him. And and having that 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 tough, that stern, that firm basketball hand and that that leadership ability that that comes from having a coach as a dad, I think that's another you know, trait that those two guys have in common that's really manifesting on the court right now. Let me put it in context. The the key word when you've got a dad that's going to get into you is accountability. Mm-hmm. Accountability. You you know the expectation. Did you do it? You were going to get a workout in today. Did you do it? Did you go as hard as you possibly can? And and that that that's what you get from a dad. Dad yeah. dads hold their boys accountable. Yeah, no doubt. That's 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 great stuff. And you know, I, I got a chance to ask ET this question uh, before about, hey man, did you did you feel like your dad was tougher on you than the rest? Of you? Man, heck yeah, <laughs> heck yeah. yeah, that was okay. And, and X to the point where he was like, man, at one point, you know, you started to be like, man, oh, you know, you, not not tune him out, but feel you feel like maybe he's singling you out a little too much until until you get into a situation where you realize that it's making you better. Uh, and and you aren't so turned off by it. you don't take it personally anymore, and I think that's the part that's the 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 place that X got eventually. But it wasn't always that way, and I think it's that way for a lot of for a lot of kids who have dads that are coaches. Also, even if it's not just their coach, uh, dads that are coaches. But I know Tim, you had a chance to really sit down uh, and spend time with with Xavier this week. You know, he's a guy that if you get him to open up, he can he can really, really give you a lot of insight, uh, not just into uh, his upbringing, but his, his view on basketball and how he is using that to, uh, you know, to help make his team better. He's a, he's a basketball savant. And, and I'll add one more piece. I, I, um, I don't think that Xavier Simpson is a nice guy in the court. I don't <laughs> think he's a nice guy in the practice field. Yeah, I really don't. And, when I when I I watch him, he he's like a lot of leaders. He has very high expectations for his teammates. He's tough. He's brutally honest. He can be confrontational. He's not afraid to get in somebody's face if they're not working hard. If if somebody in in a in a practice scrimmage uh, makes a mistake that keeps him from winning, he's gonna let him hear it. And 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 I value that. And I so respect it. So when I say he's not a nice guy, I mean, he is off the court, but on the court, he has high expectations. And when he loses, he's very upset. Gotcha. All right. So here's another great sit down. Tim McCormick with Xavier Simpson. One of the best point guards in Michigan basketball history. It's a huge honor to have Xavier Simpson on the Michigan Basketball Insider Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate this honor. So my first question has nothing to do with basketball. Your nickname is X, but your name starts with Z. How did that happen? Um, growing up, I always knew my name, obviously, was is it Xavier, spelled with a Z, Z-A-V-I-E-R. Uh, but growing up, I preferred it to be Xavier. I preferred it to start with the X. I like being called X. I didn't like the Z growing up, so it just became a thing. And I, obviously, as I got older, it really didn't matter whether it was Z, X, or Xavier with the X, or Xavier with the Z. Like it. I, I'm going to call you X then, all right? Sounds good. All right. So you're a senior now, and, and it's gone quick, hasn't it? Yes, it's flown by. Do you find yourself 
looking at the rest of your career and thinking I've got to make a run? Are you reminiscing on on the you know the last months of your college career? Um, definitely. I'm just trying to take it day by day. I obviously have a great opportunity to play for um, a new new coaching staff, um, the legend Juwan Howard. Um, so I'm definitely trying to take that in, just take it day by day. I'm definitely trying to finish out with a great run. Um, hopefully, bring some rings, some championships home. Uh, my senior year, and but uh, I'm definitely wish I could go back and enjoy some of the moments I had. When you look back over the the first three and a half years of your career, is there a highlight that that jumps out? That's the best. That's the one I'll never forget. Um, I would probably have to say the highlight would definitely have been my sophomore year, of uh, just winning the Big Ten Big Ten tournament championship. That was definitely a highlight. Um, it was just the team felt so connected. Everyone was together. It was just something that everyone chipped in. Everyone got a piece of the piece of the pie, and it was just extremely exciting, extremely fun. And it was something that we felt like we worked so hard for, and we actually earned it. When you look at the the um, the transition from John Beeline to Juwan Howard, what, what was your favorite thing about Coach B? What, what's your favorite thing about Coach Howard? Uh, my favorite thing about Coach B that I first uh, when I first got here, I, I really highly disliked, I'm not going to say hate, but I highly disliked it, was just the small things, um, just the small things, making an open pass, swinging a ball, just the small things, landing on two, all those things that when I first got here, I didn't understand, didn't learn, but I bought into it, and now I look at myself as a player, and a lot of people remember me and know me as just a smart point guard, and I feel like it's a lot because of Coach Beeline, the things that he taught me, the small details as far as making the right play, landing on two feet. Uh, just the small things, I definitely feel like they help. And with the Juwan, uh, one thing that I can take with him that I love is the relationship. He understands college basketball players. He understands us, understand us a lot more um, because he's a lot younger. It's a different. It was different eras growing up with those two and different eras that they coached and played with as well. So it's definitely a blessing to be around him, be able to talk to him about anything besides basketball and just being to have that relationship that I feel lasts forever. You didn't mention the hook shot. Did Coach Beeline show you that? Or if not, how did you learn to shoot a hook shot? Coach Beeline did not show me that. Um, I'm going to be honest, he did not show me that. It was something I did on accident in the open gym run my freshman or freshman year, I believe, and it's something that I kind of did, and I just I perfected it, worked on it um, in my off-season training during the season as well, and now I'm just now I'm known as Captain Hook. So, so Kareem Abdul-Jabbar started that fad way back when. Did did you watch any film? Did you study him or or anyone that shot a hook shot? I didn't study him at all, um, but once I learned it um, during the hook shot myself, that's when I began to watch some little a few clips. Not gonna sit up here and act like I just watched a whole highlight film with him, but I definitely watched a few clicks. Um, took some little, took some tips from him, obviously because he's Kareem. Kareem, um, he started it, so who am I not to take some tips from? Gotta learn from the best. X, you're um, you're one of the best leaders in Michigan basketball history, and and I know that's not an easy thing to do. Is it? Is there something that you've done to become a better leader? You you learned from someone. What, talk about your leadership and 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 just why that's so important for a good team. Um, my leadership, I feel like, started when I was younger. Uh, my dad coached the AAU team. I would always get the players up before the game, like 20 minutes before the game, before we played, and I would just get us warmed up against stretch, and they all just kind of like listened to me. So I was always a vocal leader, but sometimes growing up, I didn't lead by an example, which is something my dad and my mom always taught me that. I can't just be able to just um, talk to guys and lead vocally. I got to be able to lead by example, which in high school, I felt like I've done that a pretty good job. Then as I got older, my parents always told me that I, it's different ways I talk to different people. So I kind of got to control that. I can't just come at everyone at a full demeanor. I got to talk to different guys and different players a certain way just so I can get through them. 
I noticed at practice today there there were times you were you were into guys you were yelling you were you know you were you were pretty loud and strong. Is there a highlight as a leader in in, in a game or a practice in which you felt like you really impacted the team? Definitely, um, there were actually a bunch of times. Um, just one highlight off the bat, off off, off the head. Um, I can't say, but there's definitely been highlights. Um, not this year, but last year, my sophomore year as well. Where I finally, where I kind of just got into the leadership role, and kind of just highlighted the team and just created a spark. You are definitely a student of the game. I can tell that. I bet you watch the NBA a lot, don't you? Yes. Is there a, a player that you watch today? Maybe an all-time player that's your favorite? Uh, my all-time favorite player is Allen Iverson. But um, a player that I consistently watch um, of all time, my favorite player to actually just watch the game and watch the his finishes around the room and just how he plays is Steve Nash. That's one person who I watched his finishes. That's how I got my finishes. Honestly, just the same foot, same hand type of deal, change of speed, him and Chris Paul. And um, a player I now watch current today that I just like to sit and watch the game is uh, Kawhi Leonard. You, um, you, you wear the same hairstyle as Kawhi, same as Allen Iverson. Is that is that why you do that? That's definitely, that's definitely. Kawhi's um, hairstyle is a little bit, a little bit more simple. But um, in Allen Iverson's time when he played, he had kind of a little more design to it, and I definitely um, copy his some time. Um, just look at his own old mixtapes or things like that matter and Google research some of his hair. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. And try to get the same because those are one of my favorite players of all time. X, I don't think that, that basketball fans really understand how hard it is to be a college basketball player. Your, your days are programmed from morning to night. Can you, can you tell your fans a little bit about what a typical day is during the season for you? Well... Last semester, today was the first day of the semester, so I'm not sure how the semester is going to go. But last semester, um, three days out of the week, I had class from pretty much 8.30 to 2.30. With practice beginning, or film beginning at 3.30, probably leave here about 8.30 with all the recovery work, film, practice, and a little bit of shooting before or after. So um, some days I would book from like 8.30 to about 8, got home, just pretty much chilling the rest. But besides that, it can definitely can feel like a job. But it's something we signed up for. This is something that, that I've wanted. It's something that I've trained since I was little something I knew I was going to sign up before before I signed it. And I'm definitely excited about it, but this is the grind. This is this is all part of the grind. Got to embrace it. It can get tough sometimes. Definitely can with schoolwork, getting hard, midterms, then games, big exciting games. And of that matter, you got to learn how to balance it. But it's something I signed up for. I'm excited for it. And I'm definitely trying to film, finish my last semester out strong. You are, you play basketball with, with a football mentality. You know, the toughness and the physicality. Are you a Michigan football fan? Yes, 100%. Yeah, any any of the guys that you're close to? I'm close with a couple of players on the team. Um, Shay and I played basketball uh, when we were younger, and I think in I believe in the fifth or sixth grade. Um, Wait, so you played basketball with Shay Patterson? Yes. What what kind of a player was he? Did did you trust him? Was he a good shooter? Yes, yes. Shay um, at the time I w- I was just kind of just a point guard, so Shay was kind of like I believe uh, I, I think he was like the man. Um, yeah, he was like the man on our team, him and a couple other players. He, I think he was kind of chubby a little bit, but he was kind of chubby, but he had moves. He was like real fast, real quick. 
he had a nice game to him. I don't remember all the details, but I definitely remember he kind of was like a little chubby, had a nice little game to him. He could play. He could play, definitely. I remember, um, do you know the name Anthony Carter? The greatest receiver in Michigan history, number one. And and so I remember playing at the IM with all the football players after the, the basketball season. Have you ever played with any of those guys at the IM? They definitely challenged, challenged me all the time, but um, I've watched them play um, at the IM one time a while ago. Uh, I definitely would not be participating in playing with football players at basketball. <laughs> any other guys that you're close with? Um, Josh Metellus is my guy. Um, a couple other guys I can think um, – Kalik Hudson, my guy, um, Shea. Uh, so those three are pretty much the guys that I'm pretty cool with. You see, with Josh and Kalik, I could see them trying to groom you to be a defensive back if you had one more year of eligibility. Man, I'm, I'm going to pass on that. Football is, is, is not for me, man. I gave it up in eighth grade. I'll leave it for those guys. So a little bit of a fast break now. Some quick questions, random questions. Uh, what's the toughest Big Ten venue? The toughest Big Ten venue would have to be, man, Whew, that's a tough one. Wisconsin, um, man, I, I can't choose, but I definitely, um, Maryland is pretty loud, Wisconsin is pretty loud, Illinois is extremely loud. Okay. Uh, lost to Illinois twice at Illinois. Twice, and it was extremely loud. Toughest guy you've matched up with? Carson Edwards. Got it. This season or anytime? Carson Edwards, by far. Okay. Um, what do you want to do when you're done playing? I want to get into coaching. College, NBA, high school? College and beyond. Maybe Michigan? Yes, definitely. All right. Most famous person you've met? LeBron James. What was that like? What, what, what's the circumstance? Um, I went to a Skills Academy camp um, two years in a row. Um, him and all his five, him and all his boys were there. I played for high school. Um, I ended up playing with Drew on the team. He recognized me because I played for his dad, um, AAU, King James Shooting Stars. And uh, him and LeBron and all the guys came over and kind of just met because I was like the only kid, one of the few kids that was there from Ohio. And it kind of just showed me love, helped me out a little bit. And I also played against him at the camp, which was also kind of fun. So it was all good. Very good. And then the, the last one, who's the most famous person you've met? The most famous person I've met? I guess LeBron. Yeah, I'll go with LeBron. LeBron. Right. X, thank you very much for your time. Um, big fan, really proud of you. Uh, Michigan guys from the past love the way that you approach the game. So thank you very much for being on this podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's an honor. And we're back here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. I'm Sam Webb, Tim McCormick. Tim, another really uh, great chat. And you can hear you said before the interview that you don't think X is a nice guy on the floor that he holds his, <laughs> he holds his teammates accountable. He's his dad. I don't know if he if he thinks that, but he's his, he's with his teammates like his dad was coaching him. Yeah, leaders are not worried about hurting feelings. And that's the way Xavier is. I, I, um, I imagine you don't really want to be around him when they lose. And, and when, when you're thinking about going to play against Iowa, you know, he's the guy you want in the locker room. Also, when you think about which players that we've seen at Michigan 
that have maximized their ability. I would put Xavier Simpson near the top of the guard list that I've seen. He understands the angles. He uses his body so well. He gets better every year, and he hates to lose. Yeah, I guess I appreciate coaches like Quincy Simpson or like Cliff Turner or, or teammates like like X because that's all I ever knew, the, the really tough, hard-edge, you know, I'm going to get in you, accountability is loud and in your face. That's how I grew up. And the, the, the reason behind it wasn't – it wasn't just about, you know, a coach or a teammate kind of not being in control of his emotions or, or letting you have it or wanting to show you up. You know, it was always told to me, if you can't handle me yelling at you, if you can't handle me getting in your face, how are you going to – handle the adversity of a game this is mm-hmm. this is another form of game preparation this this adversity with me yelling at you holding you accountable in front of the team if you can handle that you'll be able to handle anything you see in the game to me again i understand that doesn't work for everyone uh but i i think that's a big part of of how how x goes about it like, hey, man, I'm, I'm getting in you to make you better. But this also, to, you know, to, to tell you what's wrong, but it also makes you better because it's going to prepare you in these games when, when the moment is in your face. I think that's a big I, deal. I remember when we talked to Phil Martelli, he, he, um, he shared how much respect he has for uh, Xavier Simpson and, and compared him to his best point guard, Jameer Nelson, which is high praise indeed. But he also said that as a leader – Sometimes you need to understand your audience. And yeah. he, I think the, the um, analogy he used is sometimes you need to spread some sugar. And some, some guys need to be yelled at and other guys need the, you know, the, the soft glove treatment. And so that's, that's part of the maturation process of being a leader. You, you, know, you can't throw your fastball all, all the time. time. Sometimes, sometimes you bring some change of speed. Sometimes you throw your slider, your curveball. And, and so that's, you know, that's the adjustment that as you get older – I, and especially if Xavier Simpson becomes a coach, which I think both of us expect he will, he's going to have to learn that as a coach. Yeah, no doubt. And I think he will. Uh, and why do I think that? Because, as you said, Phil Martelli not only said he told he told X to sprinkle some sugar, he, he's seeing him do it. He's seeing, mm-hmm. he's seeing him incorporate and seeing him implement that advice and in, in how, he, how he handles his teammates. So I, I put a lot of stock in. Uh, and I know it's only a brief observation. We don't have a huge sample space of it. But if Phil Martelli's saying he's seeing tangible evidence of it, uh, then I'm buying it. And I think it's going to be something that X is able to apply moving forward. Speaking of moving forward, the the Minnesota game. So, uh, you know, you get that that crucial victory at home against against Purdue. And, and you want to try to go, you know, it, it, the, the road wins are always tough to come by in the Big Ten, Tim. But this year, seemingly more so. Maybe it's because I don't think Michigan State or the top of the Big Ten is quite as good as we thought it was going to be. We could say that as uh, about basketball, college basketball in general. But the bottom of the Big Ten, I mean, what we consider to be the bottom of the Big Ten is probably only two teams. The middle is strong and thick, and it makes it tougher to win on the road. So going to the barn was never going to be easy, and you predicted heading in that Michigan was going to have its hands full with Oturu, and boy, did they ever. Yeah. Uh, Sam, I want you to remember this number, okay? Five. That's the number of losses that the Big Ten champ will have this year, 
which is a big number. Uh, back to Minnesota, it's really remarkable that Michigan could be in the paint. And Daniel Oturu is the best big guy in the conference. He was 13 for 18. He scored 30 points. And and he, he had layup after layup. And, and, you know, with the current rules, you can't use your hands. You can't get overly physical. And, and, I, and I do think that John Teske needs to be better, but he needs some help. And, and he's not getting it right now. And I think it's hurting his confidence. Yeah, I, that's, I guess that's my biggest concern. I mean, you put a heavy burden on him, telling him every time, you know, you're – and, and uh, you know, even, even the perimeter defenders, because I, I think it's more, it's more than just, you know, playing teams straight up in the post. Michigan is just they, – they want to be a, a lockdown – want to be a lockdown man-to-man team. They're going to run you off the three-point line and re- rely on their guys – uh, to to be able to to recover to be able to match up one on one, but some of these some of these matchups they had of late, uh, you know the analytics just haven't done them well. So you look at at the Purdue game, and Trevion Williams, man, he just was on a mission. Now nothing in the scouting report could have told you that he had that in him thirty six points and, and and twenty boards. But you get to a point, Tim, where it's like okay. Uh, you know, the, the analytics may have said one thing, but this guy is blowing us up. So, so you know, can can we change it up? And they did run some double teams at Trevion Williams late. When Oturu is just going to work, I think 20 of those points were in the first half. When he's just going to work, Tim, I, it just seems to me that a, a, a good just, you know, throw the analytics aside, so to speak, and – Let's run another guy at him. I'm just, and just when he's in the post, when he's faced up, you know, he catches it at the three-point line and wants to shoot it or put it on the deck and try to blow by you, it's hard to double. But when he's when he is parked in the post, you know, helping off anyone not named Kalsher, uh, it seemed to me to be something just to try and not even go to every time, but just to give uh, give Teske a little help because they're just they're just – he was on a roll, and there was no stopping him. The only thing that slowed him down was injury. You put a lot of good stuff out there right there, Sam. So I'm going to try to address it um, as best I can. First of all, I, I want to start this, this, this next-level conversation by saying that I've learned a lot about analytics from watching Juwan so far this year because Miami has always been one of those really strong analytical programs, Miami Heat. And, and so we probably shouldn't be so surprised that Juwan bases his coaching on what he's been raised with. Um, John Teske has been dominated in five Big Ten games. Opposing big guys have scored 150 points. That's 30 points per game. Now, my experience in the Big Ten as a fan, as a player, as an announcer goes back 40 years. So I watched Joe Barry Carroll. I watched Herb Williams. I watched Michael Thompson. I watched Chris Weber. I've seen great big guys, and I have never seen anybody that any one team get so dominated in the lane. And I think that starting with Iowa, Luca Garza had 44, and it was at that moment that John Teske started losing confidence. He he kind of got through that game, and they won, and. And, and so everything was okay. But each game, he's taking a physical pounding. 
trying to keep those guys one-on-one. The rules don't allow you to stop them. You know, you can keep changing your angles, and eventually you're going to get a three-foot jump hook or a power move by coming back to your opposite hand. And and I want to share a story that, that this is a personal anecdote because I've been through what Teske's going through. My freshman year, we were playing Purdue, and I was going head-to-head with Russell Cross. Russell Cross was a man, and he was skilled, and he could jump out of the gym, and I got annihilated. He dominated me, and I played him one-on-one as best I could. I was humiliated. I was embarrassed by, by what he did to me. The very next time we played them, Coach in practice said, you know, we're going we're gonna to double team uh, when Russell catches. As soon as he catches, you know, we're going to wait for that first dribble. Then we're going to come and make him a passer. By Coach Frieder doing that, he completely opened me up. He, he gave me confidence. I started running the court better. I was involved offensively. I grabbed rebounds just by giving me help, making me feel like I wasn't alone out there. It, it really made a huge difference. And if you look at Teske, he had nine points. You know, he's got off to a pretty good start, but then he faded when yeah. they really needed him. He had two defensive rebounds. That's a big guy. He's a good defensive player because we saw it last year. He can play pick-and-roll defense like no one, and he's a very good help defender and a, and a rim protector. But if you put him out there, he's going to get embarrassed, and, and it's not like it's going to get better. As we move forward, you could potentially lose one of your most important keys at both ends of the court. And and when, when I talk about, you know, ideas, what you could do, I'm not even saying double team the other team's best big guy all the time, but just make them think, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you throw a possession of zone in there. Maybe you, you know, you have a hard dig from, from the ball side. Maybe, you know, you're ready to send. The, the, the weak side help off of their, their worst three-point shooter occasionally. And I, and I think it'll make a big difference. John Teske's going to get in foul trouble if you don't do it, and he's going to lose his confidence. Right. I, I, I rather, at least for me, rather than focus on, on, on doubling the post or, or helping Teske specifically, uh, I guess what I seize upon more than anything is, is kind of where I started with either Jawan Howard – really really being so analytics driven that it has now it has led to it has led to overall success so the numbers the numbers have worked in their favor the majority of the time Michigan is a is a tournament team uh, because in, in part because of their use of, of analytics but think about back in the Oregon game what we talked about. How I mean, Michigan does a tremendous job of running teams off the three-point line. Uh, the, the fewest three-point attempts in the country right now, Michigan has that stat. Uh, and, but when you look in that game, as they did a great job of running, you know, Peyton Pritchard off the off the three-point line, and it was a it, it, it was a man-to-man matchup down the stretch, though that did Michigan. And a lot of people were saying, hey, it was because John Teske wasn't uh, wasn't in the game and my reply to that was Michigan they were not helping they were telling their big they were telling their big man to stay home so it didn't matter if it was Brandon Johns or John Teske that if whoever's in the game if there's no help 
then Peyton Pritchard has an ole to the basket if he can get by Xavier Simpson. Drop coverage against Cassius Winston. You know, analytics say that works. Against Cassius Winston, it didn't. I guess so for, for me, it's the line between where, you know, the, the numbers, the, t- the statistical analysis says this is what works, this is what leads to success, and it probably will the majority of the time. And when you get in the war, when you get in battle, and someone is just bludgeoning you, can you react in the moment with just those basketball eyes and say, guys, we're going to change it up and do something different? Right, right. A lot of good points there. And and when we talk about the fact that Luca Garza, Trevion Williams, and Daniel Oturu all had career highs against Michigan's postgame, but Michigan did win two of those three games. But they were at home. But they were at home, Tim. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, I, I understand your point. And and I like I like the the fact that I'm learning a lot about analytics. Um, but I, I think that moderation in everything is a positive thing where you where you can adjust where you know, where you take the strengths of analytics and and be able to 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 sort of sort of bring new ideas in and add to them. So it's it's gonna be it's going to be really interesting, and I would imagine that at some point, and it's probably going to be against Iowa on Friday, that that we we might see some different types of defensive looks to help out Michigan's post defenders. Yeah, I think I think so too. And and look, you know, this is a this is a a journey, uh, a, a new experience for for Juwan Howard, uh, you know, in, in coaching and coaching this team. So you got to. You got to figure out what they can do. Think about who he's – the guys who he's put in the most compromising situations are seniors that have established themselves as really good defenders, Xavier Simpson, John Teske. So part of this is, hey, I'm I'm going to give my guys great opportunities to show uh, themselves to be the defenders that they've established themselves to be in addition to the numbers. So – and, and you want to give – you want to give – you know, your philosophy, time to work. You can't you can't turn at the first sign of, of failure or adversity. So I, I, I get why he's he's stuck with his strategy. But I'm I'm gonna stop short of calling it stubbornness uh in, until we see him not change with all of these data points. And I have a strong feeling in agreement with you, Tim, that we will see it uh in the Iowa game. Uh, and, and moving forward, because after the Minnesota game, he was pretty he was pretty clear that he said he used the growth mindset again. Said we're always looking, we're always evaluating about what we can do, how we can be better. So you're damn right that's something that he's looking at. <laughs> and and since he's seen Luca Garza go off, I think he's going to come with a different approach. No, you're you're right, you're right. And you know, a, a couple of other things. One of them is you know I want to talk a little bit more about Eli Brooks and, a, and an idea that I have to get him off. Um, but the, the other is good teams finish halves really well and they close games strong and Michigan was cruising. They were up by 11. Their offense was clicking. They were shooting well. The ball was moving. The game plan was completely intact. And then all of a sudden they relaxed and a 10 0 run gave the Gophers a lot of momentum going into half. It was just a one point game. And then in the second half, up by one, 312 to go, and they gave up an 11 to two run game over. They yeah. needed a stop. They needed to find a way when a team is running 
So, so Michigan did not close the half. They did not close the game. Maybe it had something to do with the fact that they had a double OT game against a really good opponent and a short turnaround, but, but that's something to be aware of. And, and in the NBA, we see that, that the, the Pistons are really struggling with a lot of the same things. Good teams close halves. They close games well. You're absolutely right, and they could not buy one. I got so many uh, open looks that they didn't capitalize on against Minnesota. I know you can't really. You know, there's no coaching point for that other than what you touched on earlier in the podcast, and that's shot fundamentals. Hopefully that will be something that that really helps them find their find their center again when it comes to shooting, and specifically Eli Brooks. Uh, again, early in the season, uh, you know, everything was, was going – I mean, he even had some, some, some rim attacks where you're like, wow, you know, that's different. I, I never really uh, – to reiterate, I never really thought that that was something that he was going to be able to do all year, but I did fall into the lull of thinking, you know, the open looks that he gets – which you, you figure if if the pick and roll game is really going like it's going, uh, if, if Michigan does some off ball screen things like they do, a lot of those basket cuts, great off ball screen action, getting them uh, some good basket cuts to the rim, uh, and, and and getting even some looks on the perimeter as well. It felt like he's going to be able to knock those down. That has not been happening of late, Tim, and and it's a huge problem for Michigan, even more so with Isaiah Livers out. It is, and and I I appreciate his work on the defensive end. He's a hustler. He's a good teammate. He's a good chemistry guy. But but shooting four for twenty three from three versus power conference schools since the Bahamas is not going to get it done. And and it doesn't appear that Isaiah Livers is going to be back anytime soon. Um. So so they they need to make. Um, you know, some improvements with their shooting. And sometimes you just need a change of scenery, a change of, of your vision. And I just wonder, I, let me throw this out to you, Sam. Would you ever consider starting Dave DeJulius yes. with yes. Xavier Simpson? Yes. And, and, and not, not, not treat this like a demotion and, you know, you're not shooting well, so we're going to bench you. To, to just say, you know, we, we love you and care about you. We want you to succeed. And we think that just a different perspective, you know, the game's going to start and, and you've got a chance to sit there and watch. What is the defense doing? You know, where can you hunt for some open shots? You know, maybe you can get out and transition. Maybe you can find a driving angle and get fouled and get some free throws and, and gain your confidence. Eli missed a layup early in the game. And, and just before he shot, I thought, good, he's got an easy layup. He's going to get into the feel-good zone. He's going to, it's going to jumpstart his game, and he missed it. And at that point, I thought, okay, he's playing really tight. Sometimes coming off the bench makes it a little bit easier. I think he missed 13 threes in a row during one stretch. Mm-hmm. And and so and and you know maybe maybe it's temporary. Maybe when Isaiah comes back, um, you know Eli will get a higher caliber look. He you know he's without Isaiah there. Everybody's you know. It, one man up defensively, you're going to get a little harder guy covering you, a better defender on you without Isaiah Livers there. So, just a thought. What do you well, What do you think? I think you're I think you're absolutely on to something. If you want to stop short of that, just just having a shorter hook with him, not not making it go, you know, making it seven or eight minutes before you go to Dave. 
you know, maybe it's the first, maybe it's the the 16 minute mark. You know, the first time out that you know if he if it hasn't started falling, if he's taking a couple of shots by then, and it and and the first few are are, are missed, maybe then you you go to Dave a little earlier. Either way, you look at it. Uh, you looked at Michigan State game, and I mentioned this at the time. He played 36 minutes, had two points. The next game against against Purdue, played 41 minutes, had four points. That everything that he gives you defensively, you can show too much appreciation if if it if it prevents you from from getting a more of an offensive hunter on the floor, uh, like like Dave DeJulius, who it's not like he's shooting like gangbusters, but you know he's gonna. He's going to be aggressive on the floor. That can create for others. He's going to give you some high percentage opportunities out there. He's another shot maker on the floor. Uh, that can also create space for other guys. So I think it, it, it's time to start having that conversation. If you aren't going to change the starting lineup, which I'm with you, I'd I'd be in favor of giving it a look, at least going to, to Dave earlier uh, in, in games and having a shorter hook with Eli Brooks, uh, and, and and maybe that'll jumpstart him. If it doesn't, at least you get a jumpstart-like guy on the floor a little bit quicker in Dave. Yeah, and I always like the word that Jim Harbaugh uses, meritocracy. That that you know you you get what you earn, and and who knows, Dave DeJulius might be better suited as a starter. I know that as a bench spark, he can come in, he can play the one, he can play the two, he can actually play the three and the three guard look. But, but maybe he's best suited as a starter. And so it's an opportunity just to take a look at how he and Xavier play together. Um, I, I, I don't see a downside in it. And when Isaiah Livers comes back, you can always go right back to your Bahamas starting lineup, and, and that would work as well. Gotcha. All right, Tim, let's come back around now and look at Michigan's uh, next opponent. You're going to see Luca Garza again. Uh, and it was in the last time the Wolverines saw <laughs> saw Luca Garza. He had he had a career night. The Hawkeyes currently, at the time of this podcast, at eleven and five overall, two and three in in the Big Ten. They got a game against Northwestern coming up. Uh, you figure that they will be they'll have another win on their belt. At least you figure they will with how Northwestern is. At least uh, you know even though it's on the road. Uh, how do you see this one, kind of forecast this one going to Carver-Hawkeye, where you know the Hawkeyes are a lot tougher to play against? I think that when when you look at Iowa, to me, they're a better team than than Minnesota. Um, I like I like Daniel Turu, and you could make the argument that you know he and Cassius Winston are the best two players in the Big Ten. But I I think that Iowa is a really tough environment. When you look at the Big Ten. Michigan and Iowa right now have two wins, three losses. The the interesting thing to me about the Big Ten, there's 14 teams. Ten of them either have two or three losses. And, and Iowa's playing with great confidence. Remember last game, they played against Maryland. A lot of people, you and I included, felt like Maryland at the beginning of the season was probably going to be uh, one of the top two or three teams in the conference. But but they're getting really good balance. Wieskamp had 26 against he Maryland. Yeah, he's really a good player. Garza had 20. I think he had 21. The 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 rebounding game was plus 12, and and Iowa plays you know 10 points, 12 points better in their building than they do on the road. So whereas I felt like 
going into the two road games at Minnesota, at Iowa, Michigan needs to win one of those two. I felt that Minnesota was their best option. Um, I, I think it's going to be really hard for them to beat Iowa, especially if Luca Garza scores 30. Well, I mean, think about this, Tim. Look, Wieskamp did virtually nothing against Michigan in the last outing. Uh, and you mentioned uh, the, the Maryland game. You know, Wieskamp, as you stated, led the way for them 26 points. He was 5 for 9 from three-point range. You know, he is – he he's playing better basketball than he played uh, in that contest. So they're at home. Uh, you can't count on uh, Wees Camp coming out and giving you a seven spot. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna play better than seven points. I'm pretty confident uh, in, in that being the case uh, this time around. So uh, again, part of the the strategy would say. Do the same strategy uh, strategy against Luca Garza. I actually think it's counter that. I think that it is one of those deals where, where if Luca Garza, if he if he scores in the thirties, uh, it's going to be. I think it's going to be impossible for Michigan to win this game because he's going to get more help this time around. So I actually think it's incumbent upon them to to keep him more in check in this game. He can't go off. Because if he goes off, just in the the opportunities that Wees Camp got in the last game, he's gonna he's gonna capitalize on more of those in this contest. He's gonna, they're gonna be more offensively efficient uh, in this contest. The other players are. I think it, the onus is on them. I still think, to your point, Luca Garza is the is the focus, the focal point for them defensively. But you gotta know. That if he goes off, they're going to win because everyone else around him is going to be better in this game. Last three games, Wieskamp 26, 21, 23. That's all against Big Ten competition. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, they, they shoot the ball so much better in their building. And so it, it's going to be a really tough game for Michigan. They're going to have to play their best, and they're going to have to really lock down in the post. Yeah. Great stuff as always, my man Tim McCormick. A pleasure. Another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider in the books, man. Thanks a lot. Be fun to jump right back into it next week. Sounds good, Sam. Go Blue.